Welcome to Hadar's Web, a podcast featuring community conversations on spirituality, healing, justice, and art. My name is Hadar Cohen. I am your host, and I am delighted to invite you to my relational web. Welcome to today's bonus episode. It is a talk I gave on Instagram Live on June 13th, 2021, and I wanted to share it with you all here because I feel like it holds valuable insights on the spiritual and psychological dynamics of oppression. So I hope you enjoy this talk. Hey everyone, um, I wanted to do another live. Um, and first of all, just start by thanking everybody for all of your beautiful messages of solidarity. Um, it's really heartwarming to receive all of that from all over the world. And, you know, I think that I have been wanting to share this for a while. I get a little bit nervous on the Instagram platform because I'm used to teaching and community and with seeing people's faces. So here it feels like it's me, myself, and spirit. Um, but I wanted to share a little bit about spiritual teachings of how to relate to what's been happening in the Holy Land and, um, you know, the ongoing occupation of Palestine and, and um, how do we can see it beyond from um, just the physical reality, but the psychological and psychosomatic and spiritual perspectives of what is happening and, and, and how are these dynamics unfolding? Um, so first I wanted to start by sharing a teaching that um, in Jewish tradition, uh, there's a teaching that the world was created by two aspects, by compassion and by justice. So compassion is this quality where we understand that we're all interconnected and um, it's a unifying force, right? It's a um, it's this understanding that all beings on this earth are actually in some level of pain. And that is actually the unifying factor between us is that there's this humanity and everyone's story and everyone's pain needs to be honored and recognized. So, you know, there's a really important role for compassion to play everywhere. And then there's this other component that the world is created by that is justice. And justice understands that, yes, there is a level of equality and unity to us all, but there's also a structure of power at play. There's also like an asymmetry here, and that must be acknowledged and recognized if we're actually going to meet reality as it is. Justice is also sometimes known as truth because really um, justice kind of sees through the lens of what is actually happening, right? Like what are what are the imbalances of resources at play? Like, what are the power dynamics here? Um, and, you know, one thing that I want to say about power that I think is really important to recognize is that power by its nature fluctuates and shifts. It's never like a static thing, um, meaning that just because a group of people are oppressed, 
it does not mean that they cannot become oppressors, right? Because roles shift based on um, societal conditions and different things that are happening. So, so this navigation of power is not just about identity, but it's actually a certain um, form of how we step up to that power. And, you know, when we're kind of dealing with this world of justice and with this imbalance of power, we have um, these dynamics of oppression, right? When there's an oppressor and an oppressed and they're kind of bound in this, in this game. And I wanted to kind of break down a little bit um, some of the psychology that's happening here, um, because I know that sometimes it's like, you know, there's all these media articles and, you know, all these conversations that people get about Israel-Palestine and then everybody's head hurts because people are like, why can't these people see this thing and why pe people can't see this other thing? And part of it is that um, the oppressor and the oppressed dynamic, um, they're fundamentally experiencing different realities. Um, so for people who are oppressed, pain is just in front of them, right? There's no denying their pain because part of being in an oppressed group is that you have access to pain. You, you don't have a choice about it. Pain is just in front of your eyes all the time. You're, you're experiencing pain, you're experiencing suffering, like it's there. So, you know, from a spiritual perspective, if we're kind of holding a more um, multidimensional lens to it, um, pain is actually gold because pain is a vehicle for transformation, right? So, um, you know, all the great stories from all the religions, it's like nobody comes to meet God without going through a journey of really understanding their own pain and their own suffering. Like there's a reckoning um, internally that has to happen in order to reach that divine light. Um, so when we're looking at it again from a spiritual perspective, oppressed people actually have in some ways a great power because they have deep access to their own pain. And this access to their own pain actually is also access to their own humanity, but not just their own humanity, actually everybody's humanity, because you know we're all connected. So once you recognize the humanity within you, you of course recognize it from other people. So you know part of the teaching and critical justice theory is that actually oppressed groups have the power to not just liberate themselves, but actually also liberate the oppressors because they have this tremendous power to take their pain and, um, and transform it. Now for the oppressor, it's a little bit of a different reality because oppressors um, of course also have pain, um, but part of the dynamic in the um, oppressor is that there's the level of pain that they're experiencing, but then there's actually um, a denial that's on top of it. So a denial of their own pain, but also a denial of other people's pain. So in the mind of the oppressor, they actually can't see or experience the pain and suffering because they have this block of denial. And this block of denial is actually what's maintaining the system of oppression. Because if that denial is gonna be challenged, then they would feel the suffering and see the pain and then the oppression matrix would fall apart. So a lot of oppression is actually based on um, psychological patterns of denial. Um, so why does this denial happen? How does it get built? Um, so again, because power is fluctuating by its nature, oppressors you know, usually don't just wake up one day and they're like, we have this great idea, let's oppress the people. 
Um, usually oppressors come from actually experiencing oppression themselves. And what we know from a trauma perspective and from a psychology perspective is that if there is unprocessed pain in the body, um, it actually gets manifested as, as a block and then it actually creates more pain in the world, right? So whatever we don't process in ourselves, we kind of send out into the world. It's, it's kind of like this teaching that the internal and the external constantly mirroring each other. Um, so, you know, a lot of times it, it gets into this tricky situations because, you know, when you call out an oppressor, you're like, hey, like you're oppressing. Oppressors don't necessarily feel seen when you call them oppressors because in their own mind, they're oppressed, right? They're like, no, what are you talking about? I've been the one that have, that's been oppressed. I've been the one that hasn't had my pain and my story and my struggle seen. But part of the dynamic is, is that um, the level of denial is actually not allowing them to meet the reality as it is. It's actually holding on to something that has happened in the past that um, is still bound in the body and that hasn't been processed. So, you know, this is kind of the dynamic that is at play. And part of the reason why I said that the oppressed people have tremendous power to liberate not just themselves, but also the oppressor is because the denial block is actually pretty hard to penetrate. Um, it's, I, I think, one of the hardest things psychologically to do um, because it's really like hardwired in there. Um, and again, it's a rejection of one's own pain, right? And the only reason why someone can hurt someone else is because they don't know that their pain, the person that they're hurting, is actually the same level of pain that's in them too. And, and from a spiritual reality, it's like, again, all pain is bound up together. It's not like pain is a privatized phenomenon. Pain is actually a collective thing. So if I have the capacity to hurt someone else, it means that there's actually hurt in me that I, uh, that I haven't woken up to. Um, and, and there's a level of denial in me that I don't see that um, me hurting someone else is actually me hurting myself. Um, it's kind of um, one of the ways that people talk about it in the spiritual community is that <laughs> there's a little bit of a time delay with some of this work where it's like, you know, when you, let's say, have a fire on your stove or something and you put your finger on it and it's really hot, but you don't know right away because you don't feel it. it takes act There's like a time delay for you to actually feel the impact and the effect of what your action of putting the finger in the fire has done. Um, so it's kind of like that when we hurt someone else, we don't know that that actually means that we're also hurting ourselves um, because there's actually a time delay there, right? Because we're able to pretend that is that there's like a separation here, right? That like, these people are over here and these people are over here. And if these people are suffering, then that has no weight on what's happening for me. And I wanted to share all that in terms of, um, you know, the kind of political and psychological roles, because I think that, um, especially when we talk about the situation in Israel-Palestine, it's like, it's really easy to get bound up in identity um, around like Israelis, Palestinians, this, that, and, and um, I think that it's a lot more helpful to think about it in terms of like, 
what roles are being occupied right now and, and how is that manifesting and what are the powers for transformation that are here at play? Um, and of course, like, you know, again, going back to the teachings around the creation of the world through compassion and justice, it's like, first of all, there's good people everywhere all the time, right? Um, in any struggle, you're going to find good people on, um, because like goodness and kindness and openness of the heart is not actually bound on the conditions that you were born into. It's actually bound on a choice that you're making. So that exists across the stage. And again, it's these teachings of justice that there is like a power imbalance that must be understood and named um, in order to really like break up what is really happening and to really confront it. Um, so, you know, one of the other things I wanted to name that um, when we are talking, you know, part of the, the boundness of this pattern of denial, the way that it manifests is that um, because for a lot of oppressors they are actually still stuck in an oppressed mentality. They cannot understand that they're oppressing because they're still stuck in an oppressed reality. So part of the pattern that kind of comes about is that we need more mil militarization and more policing in order to feel safe. Now, you know, I have never seen that happen in the world where more militarization and more weapons and more policing actually makes the community more safe. It actually usually creates more violence and more chaos and more harm and more pain. So, you know, if that's true, that militaries actually create more war, we have to kind of get with the mind that thinks that it will be more safe if it has a military, right? Because that's actually like psychologically, that's what we're working with, like especially in the Israeli community. It's like there, there are people who literally feel that the military will protect their safety. Now we can talk again about like all the different dimensions of physical, whatever, but I want to actually really focus on the emotional because what I find to be true in the Israeli community is that no matter how many like weapons you have, like, you know, in some ways it's a little bit silly because it's like Israel has like one of the most advanced militaries in the world. So you're like, shouldn't these people feel really, really safe? Um, but the thing is, is that they don't. And the reason why they don't is because we haven't really like addressed the core issue of why there isn't safety in the body. And again, because militarization and safety, like whoever made that equation, that more militarization equals more safety, that was actually coming from an unstable mind, from a mind that was traumatized, from a mind that couldn't actually process what safety was. So it created this equation and it actually is still bound in that narrative. Um, so, you know, again, it's like, I see this all the time where it's just like, okay, like people who have, you know, and not just in Israel in the States and, in, and everywhere, it's like people who have weapons, it's like, you think that they would be more safe, but then you have a conversation with them and you realize like they're terrified. And it's like this really interesting psychological phenomenon where it's just like, oh, like, I'm sorry, you just like have all of this quote unquote protection in the world, but your internal experience is still one of great terror. So that to me gives an insight that um, we need to be thinking a little bit differently. And I want to say that, um, you know, the mind that created 
the problem is not going to be the mind that solves the problem. So a lot of times when I, you know, speak up about Palestinian liberation or Palestinian rights, it's like one of kind of the first responses or reactions I get from people is like, well, what's your solution? Is it one state? Is it two states? And again, like the question that I have, it's like, okay, well, why are we still thinking in terms of states? Like, why is our paradigm still nation states? And why is our mind so fixated on that? Um, but also, you know, another thing that I'm thinking is like, why are we actually solution obsessed when we still don't even know what the problem is, right? Like when we still haven't even really fully acknowledged and confronted the reality as it is, like there's still like this massive level of denial. So if we're dealing with a collective consciousness that is in massive denial about occupation and militarization, and then we're trying to create a solution, like that's not gonna happen. Um, there's actually what's going to have to happen is there needs to be like a certain deconstruction of the mind patterns that produce this reality of colonization and rewiring them back. And to me, that is the spiritual work, the spiritual work of understanding um, the energetic patterns that are at play. Um, right. Because it's easy to say like, OK, like colonization is not such a great thing. But it's another thing to realize, like, how did we get to this stage, you know, all across the globe where colonization is like so normative? Um, what, what are the mind? What are the thought patterns? What are the behaviors? What, what are the infrastructures? What are the energetic dynamics that um, we've all been contributing to that have been uplifting the system? And what is our power here? And, you know, I am a person because I am my primary lens again is spirituality. Like I believe that we as humans actually possess great, great power and that we're actually, we're not dependent on systems of oppression for our power and we're not dependent on governmental institutions for our power or policing or militarization. Actually our power comes from the divine um, and from God and from our spiritual resource. And um, you know, like that reorientation of instead of rooting our safety and highly, highly, highly unstable systems of oppression that are actually based on highly traumatized and fear-based minds is actually like, of course, gonna lead us to more, more levels of unsafety in the world. Um, so those are some of the thoughts I wanted to share. Um, let me see if I want, oh, okay, yeah. I just wanted to say another thing that, you know, in terms of like, yeah, like the solution and the problem and kind of this level, like for me, I feel that, you know, when you are in, let's say meditation or when you're doing spiritual practice and you want to kind of understand a problem in your life or how to move forward in a specific way, it's like, sure, you can sit down and you can kind of project into the future and you can create all this like long-term strategy plans about all the things that are, um, could happen or supposed to happen. But that's actually not really a wise choice because the nature of the world is to reveal itself moment by moment because there's a great mystery here that's actually at play. And until we actually confront something it's not going to reveal the next step, right? The more we avoid something, the more it actually amplifies itself. Um, and, and, you know, I see that kind of happening all the time in, in politics where it's just like, 
okay, well, like, let's just avoid all of these systemic issues and let's just, like, think about how we structure society. But obviously that's not going to work because unless we are really willing to look at the history of colonization, the history of racial justice, what is happening now, how are all these systems intertwined, then of course they're historical. They're not just present, right? We were all born into whatever conditions we were born into, but we all, again, have the power to transform into change and the responsibility at the same time. Um, but, you know, I really believe that it's on, you know, every individual to uh, confront with spiritual courage, um, because I think that spiritual courage is actually the solution or what is actually needed. And spiritual courage is having the capacity to not shut down in the face of great pain and suffering, to actually meet it and to be with it and to stay present. And, you know, with, with spirituality, what we know is that when we stay present with something, when we meet it, when we can really like face things for what they are, they start unfolding themselves. And so, you know, what I see as like, um, yeah, all these kind of psychological dynamics that I kind of named, like, I don't believe that politics is going to be governmental politics is going to be actually enough, even if there is like a new government right now in Israel, like, um, in some ways, it doesn't really matter because the core psychological patterns are still kind of at play. Um, and I, I, you know, I think that, again, like, What's happening in the Holy Land um, is very, very important. But part of the, because obviously it's like for all the beings who live on this land and um, for Palestinian liberation, but it's also very important for collective liberation because what's happening in the Holy Land, and this has been true since the beginning of time, is actually an amplification of what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, so what's happening here is actually largely affecting everything that's happening everywhere. Um, so I think this is why, you know, obviously things here are very amplified and the patterns here are really strong, but there's also that great power to actually like work with it and meet it. Um, so those are my thoughts. I can't read everything. I see all the hearts. Um, this, I really usually don't do lives because I get scared of Instagram. Um, but let me just think if there's anything else I want to say. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I will just share that for me, I find that embodiment, um, is really key and what I've been kind of seeing, um, in a lot of the conversations have people have been kind of talking about Israel, Palestine is that it's very mind-based and you'll notice that if you're engaged for too long, you'll start getting a headache and you'll be like, I don't feel well all of a sudden and you'll be like, okay, so that's actually pointing to the level that um, we actually don't have resource from the mind to confront the level of pain and suffering that is actually happening. So it actually means that the mind is not a useful strategy to go through right now. Like coming out with like a 10 point plan about, you know, the history of this land and who did what to who and this person did this and what about that and what about anti-Semitism that happened 500 years ago and what about what happened like 3,000 years ago and what about the creation of the world? Like that's actually not helpful because it spirals on itself and it, it actually, um, it loops by definition. 
Cause um, I don't know if you all noticed, but that actually what's the mind does, the mind actually loops on itself eternally because that's the nature of the mind. The mind will continuously loop and loop and loop and loop. Um, and part of why is because the purpose of the mind is to know, um, right? The mind is structured in order to gain knowledge. But the truth and the fundamental truth is that the mind actually doesn't have the capacity to know. This is why so many religions are focused on prayer and are focused on different ways of knowing and focused on divine knowing and knowing through the heart and knowing through the body because those portals of knowing are actually a lot more potent than the portal of the mind because the mind is actually an infinite loop that is constantly searching for knowledge, constantly trying to figure it out. Every time it gets a new input, which is every second, it's like, what does that mean? What does this mean? What is that? So it's constantly doing that. And, and if that's who we're kind of putting on the throne to solve some of our greatest crises in the world, like, of course, we're all going to get headaches and we're all going to be in chaos. Um, so, so again, it's like coming back to this deep spiritual presence that actually has the capacity to meet what is happening and to really be with, right? Like pain at the end of the day is here to be tended to and is here to be loved and is here to be seen and is here to be witnessed and it's here to be healed. And none of us are going anywhere until all pain on earth is actually healed, which is the core truth of it. And, you know, sometimes we like, like to live our days with like our routines and our daily lifestyles. Um, but, you know, if we're actually looking at it from a deeper perspective is that we're all actually here to heal and we're all actually here to heal together. And we were all born into whatever conditions we were born into. And whether it was like an oppressed or an oppressor or an oppressed or whatever it is, um, we're all born with this great power of transformation and service of collective healing and in service of collective liberation and in service of this collective love that we all yearn for. Um, and, you know, you guys are all edging me on. So I'm giving me all these things. So I'm now just keeping, I'm just keeping it going. Um, but the, the one thing I just wanted to mention that, you know, for me, like I'm a spiritual teacher and I, and I teach, um, and I think that, and I have my own spiritual teachers, of course, and one of the things that I've been really disappointed in, in um, you know, this last war in Gaza and just the recent violences that have been happening here in the Holy Land is that, um, you know, I have a lot of kind of people in my community who are in the spiritual world who are always like love and light, peace and like love, all of that. And then the second war erupts, it's like all those people are, go silent. And that's really deeply heartbreaking for me because I'm like, no, 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 this is when we need you actually the most. This is when the spiritual teachings are actually relevant. This is actually your time to shine. This is actually when you come and you deal with like the evils of humanity and you meet it and you interact with it. This is not the time where you go to sleep. Um, so I think, you know, this is like a larger frustration that I have with the spiritual world that it constantly turns an eye away from issues of justice and, um, I believe that spiritual teachings and their truth are meant to come through all the way to the embodied level, to come all the way through to 
every every struggle of injustice and and to actually inform um because at the end of the day it's like this is what these teachings are meant for these teachings are meant for liberation um and 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 they're really deep and they're really ancient and there's a lot of resource there so um i feel like we should use it (laughs) um and you know just i'll just end with um you know, of course, that this um, live is just in honor of um, the tremendous amount of pain and violence that has been happening here and of all the beings that have been suffering and um, particularly just wanted to give a dedication um, to see the end of the occupation of Palestine, hopefully in my lifetime, inshallah. Um, but um yeah, and, and again, even though that there is a governmental regime, unless we really get with the structures and the systems that are at play, um, this the situation is not going to shift. So, so you know, I think that there's a great spiritual urgency here. And I also want to name that, again, it's like, you know, with the pandemic and with corona, one of the myths that were kind of shattered is that um, separation is a thing. And what we learned this year collectively throughout the whole world, we all went through this lesson together. I hope everybody remembers because it was a hard lesson to learn together, but we literally learned that we are all interconnected and that if one person is sick, that actually has an impact on a whole community, let alone a whole world. Um, So that's actually quite a deep teaching. And, you know, my perspective, especially with the rise of global fascism all across the world, is that this teaching is actually deeply, deeply valuable. Um, and what I see happening even is as there is like a rising level of fascism all across the world, there's also a rising level of collective global consciousness that is anti-racist, that is feminist, that is leading the way spiritually that is coming with a new reality of what is possible. Um, And it's kind of emerging. It hasn't fully taken on full power yet, but it will. And these fascist regimes will fall away. Um, So, you know, my prayer is that as we're in this great moment of transition um, in history, we are really truly in unprecedented times, um, that we will turn towards this rising consciousness of interconnection and collective healing and liberation, and that we will let the fascist regimes die and just truly just let it happen and then invest in this rising phenomenon of what does it actually mean to have humanity together and not just this in this identity bound way, but actually know that um, we're truly all here to heal together. Um, Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to my prayer and to my teaching. I truly hope that it was supportive. um, And yeah, if you have any thoughts, feel free to get into my DMs. I'm still figuring out Instagram and followers and all of that. But um, I really love hearing from you all. So thank you for writing.